you're listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the Gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. We have been in a series on the I am statements of Jesus. So if you're first time or you've been gone a little bit this summer, we ha- uh, we're in week six. So we got one more after this. And the goal here, Paul prays for the Colossian church. We're going to look at the book of Colossians this fall. And he prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will according to all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's a lot there, but really it sounds familiar because what we do here, we say we gather as a church and then we grow and then we go. So we gather for one reason, to equip, right? So in our community groups, in our middle school groups, in our whatever, high school groups, we gather to equip so that we grow and then we go and be the church, Right? That's, that's our strategy. That's our vision that we'd be a group that gathers, grows, gets. So, so we gather, I equip. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. That's why we gather. So that you go then and what? Grow. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That you bear fruit. That you go into the world and you bear fruit. So really what Paul's praying is what we're doing. And the reason why we're studying the I am statements is because the more you know who Jesus is and the more intimately you connected to him and, and you're drawing near to him, the more you will be like him, the more you will bear fruit, the more you will grow. And so the goal this summer, as other guys have gotten up here and, and, and preached a little bit, is just to let you kind of know who Jesus is, to increase in the knowledge of God, so to speak, is what Paul prays. So we are in week six of seven. When we were planning this series back in the spring, we have a Tuesday planning meeting, all the pastors and sta- on staff, and uh, we're divvying them out. Divvying out, okay, we're doing this I am statements and Fowler, you're gonna open, and okay. Uh, and then they start divvying them out. The only thing is, I wasn't there. I wasn't at this meeting. I don't know where I was. So, so, we're, so they start divvying them out. They're like, okay, who wants to weigh the truth in the life? Let's give that to the, the missions pastor. You know, that's a good one for him. All right, who, who's the nicest guy on staff? I'll give, that's Talavo. He's the nicest guy. He really is. We'll give him the good shepherd because he's the nicest guy. Who looks most like a vine? That would be Clint. We'll give Clint the vine. <laughs> who looks like he eats the most bread? That's you, RJ. You get the bread of life next week, all right? He's not in here right now, I don't think so. Uh, so they, they're divvying these out and picking dates. Fowler's not there. So guess what? There's one left over. They're like, Fowler gets the last one. No one wants the last one. No one wants the door, right? So Fowler gets the door. So today, we're gonna look at the statement that Jesus makes. He's gonna make it twice in these verses. I am the door. Some of your old translations, if you're an old King James guy, I am the gate, right? Uh, But that's where we're going today, and we're gonna be in John chapter 10, uh, verses one through 10. If you're here last week, we were in John 10 as well. And you're like, well, why are we in the same chapter? Because there's two I am statements together. Um, actually, Talavo's good shepherd and, and then today the door. And they're actually related. There's a little bit of overlap. So we're gonna be overlapping a little bit. What Jesus does in this chapter is what every sixth grade English teacher hates. He mixes his metaphors, right? But since he's God, he can do what he wants, right? So it's okay, and it's gonna make sense, you'll see, but there will be some overlap from next week, last week with the Good Shepherd, but that's okay, because that's what, that's what Jesus does. When we're talking about these claims now, just, just a quick reminder, especially if you're new or you've been gone, two things, 
right? Number one, these claims of Jesus are related to what God had said back in Exodus chapter three when Moses is standing there at the burning bush and, and God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And he says, no way, Jose. And he says, yes way, Jose. And he says, okay, fine. Who should I tell him? Who should I tell the Israelites that I am? And God says, I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. And so these statements are explicit claims to deity. That's a big piece. The second one is this, and Chalavo unpacked this real well last week, is the claim is only as good as the person that's backing it up, right? Jesus can make all these claims, but if he can't back them up, then they're no good, right? I can claim, I can take Clint in basketball one-on-one. I got him, right? And I think I could actually, because I'm, a, I'm Cobra Kai, I'll sweep the leg, right? His tall, thin legs, I'll sweep the leg. Do I have a problem with that? No, I don't have a problem with that, for those of you from the 80s. I will sweep the leg all day long, and I'll beat him, all right? But the reality is this, if I don't cheat, which I'm not above, I can't beat Clinton one-on-one, right? The claim, no matter what I say, can't be backed up. With Jesus, can his claims be backed up? And the answer is yes. And we can talk all day long why, but the ultimate reason why he can, his claims are backed up is because of the resurrection from the dead. And Romans 1 says that he was declared the son of God in power through the resurrection. So everything he says, everything he claims, everything he wants us to do can be listened, can be trusted because he is who he says he is. And today he says, I am the door, right? I'm the door. And so when we talk about a door, there's one word I kind of want you to get. Go ahead to that first slide. It's, here's here's kind of where we're going. It's, it's the idea of access. I want you to think in terms, when we talk about a door, door equals access. When you guys came in today, whether you came in through kids, whether you came in through coffee, whether you came in through the front, you came through a door and you were given access. When you get home and you're hungry, you're like I'm going to the fridge, you open the door, that gives you access to your kid's Lunchable or the old hot dogs, or whatever it is you're eating, access. You go to your favorite store. Women, if it's Ikea, all right, great. Men, if it's Best Buy, or whatever. You walk in, and the doors to Ikea go, and then you're trapped forever, (laughs) right? Can't get out, but it's access. When Jesus says, I am the door, the idea is there's access. The question is, though, access to what? And that is the question we're gonna answer today. And there's gonna be three things he's gonna highlight, he's gonna mention in this text that he brings access to. So we're gonna pick up in verse one. And what has just happened in chapter nine, just as a kind of getting a running start, we actually, I preached this text at Easter this year. This year. Uh, Jesus has healed a blind man. The Pharisees are mad because he healed him on the Sabbath and there's all sorts of other things. They kicked the guy out of the, out of the temple because because he's telling them that Jesus did this and they don't believe him. They think he's faking. There's all this fraud. They go to his parents. His parents are like weak sauce. And they're like, we don't know what happened. And so there's all this debate going on. And at the end of the, uh, chapter nine, Jesus says, y'all are just blind. Y'all are just blind, Pharisees. That's the context of what's going on next, right? He's just debating with these Pharisees. He's accused them of being blind. So we pick up in verse one and he says, truly, truly. And when you see truly, truly, you're verily, verily, if you're old King James person, the idea is lean in here. He, what he's saying is serious. When I was at the Citadel, they used to have this loudspeaker and it would go, attention to the orders, attention to the orders. And what they said next was supposed to be important. No one listened, but it was supposed to be important. 
Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying, lean in. This is important, all right? He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man's a thief, that man's a robber, right? And the picture is, and they would get this picture, in each village, there would be a common sheepfold, right? So everybody who had flocks, whether it's goats or sheep, at night, they would bring all their flocks into this common sheepfold, and the sheepfold would be made probably of stone, and it might have some briars on the top to keep people out, right? It really looks something like this. I know the, the lights are really, really bad right now. In two weeks, we'll have our brand new plasma TV screen up here, and you'll see everything. So people in the balcony will actually be able to see me, and you're excited about that. So just trust me here. This is a stone wall, all right? You can go online and Google it if you want. It looks great. Look at the back wall. Everyone turn it back on my... On my See, that? that's what it's supposed to look like. See that? You, sorry, balcony, you guys gotta get here on time. You can't see it, right? <laughs> it's a stone wall that all the sheep would go in and there'd be a common gate and there would be a gatekeeper, right? Now, if someone is not coming through that front door, if they're coming over the ledge, there's a problemo. It's like if you go home and you see someone in your backyard looking in the window, you're like, get the shotgun, honey or call the cops, or whatever, or send the dog out, or whatever, because there's a problem. Normal people come to the front door, right? And he says, so the somebody's coming in the side, they are a thief, they are up to no good. But he who enters by the door, he's a shepherd of the sheep. And to him, the gatekeeper opens. And notice what it says here. The sheep hear his voice. This is, this is big, because there'll be multiple flocks in there. You got Joe's flock, you got John's flock, you got, jo- you know, all these different flocks. But the shepherd of that flock comes up, and the sheep do what? They don't see him, because it's a high wall. They hear the voice of their shepherd. And he calls his sheep, come on, guys, right? And they lead him out, and he calls them by name. And the Palestinian shepherds of the day, they had names for each of their sheep, and often it was... Uh, based on attributes of the sheep. So, oh, there's old, you know, long tail, and there's Sean the sheep, right? And there's Polly the sheep, and there's old whatever, you know, spot, double spot, you know. And he'd call them out, and they would follow. And when he had brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep, what? They follow. Why? They know his voice. There is that line again. And a stranger they will not follow, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This idea of voice and, and hearing and, and going before. And then verse six, this figure speaks, the Pharisees, they don't get it. They're like, huh? What's he talking about? But they didn't understand what he was saying. Why didn't they understand? Because they were not his sheep. He just, got, he just told them. The sheep hear their shepherd. They're not his sheep. They don't understand what he's saying. And, and here's, here's a little side application for us. It's not related necessarily to the door But as I'm studying this passage and just reflecting on it, the idea that the voice of the shepherd is so vital to us, isn't it? I mean, I need, I need the voice of the shepherd. I I need a constant voice in my life, Uh, whether it's a comfort piece, whether it's like, you're doing okay, whether it's a uh, a rebuke, uh, you need to go back and apologize to that person, whether it's a, just an affirmation, good job, you did a good job. I need it, and the, and the idea here, he highlights it several times, right? He talks about, uh, verse three, to him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice. That word hear is in the present tense in the Greek. It's, they continually hear 
his voice. Constantly, they're hearing it. Verse four, it says that they, they know his voice. This is actually a different tense of the verb it's with the Greek perfect tense, which talks about something that happens in the present but that has future results. They know and they keep knowing and keep knowing and keep knowing the voice of the shepherd. They need the voice. They don't see necessarily the shepherd. Because what if they're like a short sheep? I'm a short sheep. And, then, and when the shepherd's leading and the short sheep gets stuck in the back, right? And all the tall sheep are up front and the short sheep. So I can't see the shepherd, but what do I have? I have the shepherd's voice. And I'm following the shepherd's voice. And I know the shepherd's voice, right? I need that. And because in case you missed it, in the story, we're the sheep. Okay, a sheep is, is we, and there's a lot about sheep, and you've probably heard it said before, sheep are dumb, sheep are stupid, we're stupid, right? That, that's a little bit, I think that's a little bit insulting, actually, to the bride of Jesus, personally. But here's the thing. Sheep, it's not so much that they're dumb, is that they are very social creatures. They'll follow, and they're completely helpless. Like, there's not like, you know, you see, remember aliens, and the, and the alien, the teeth come out? There's no, like, secret sheep, like, all of a sudden, you know, the teeth come out, and it, it protects the sheep. Sheep have no defense mechanism, and they follow, and they need direction. I just kind of reading about sheep this week, I, I read a, it was a funny, I thought it was funny. It's kind of sad, but it's a funny story. Back in 05, in Turkey, 1,500 sheep went over a cliff. Right, because one rogue sheep was like, I'm going over here, and he went off here. Now, it was only a 15-meter fall, so it wasn't horrible, and only 400 of the 1,500 died because there was such a pile of sheep at the bottom, they bounced off and they landed, and so it was actually, see, you thought it was funny too, I see. Not for the 400, but for the, you know, the, the 1,100 that made it. It was kind of funny. But here's the thing. The reason they went over the cliff is because the shepherds were eating breakfast. Right? They were at IHOP while the sheep were hop. Right? Why? Because, they, because sheep, sheep are social. Look, Hank just jumped over the cliff. Let's go. I read another article. This is more recent. 2017. In France, they've been trying to reintroduce bears, apparently, to the population. Why? I don't know. They're French. I mean, uh, maybe that's their army now because they don't certainly have one. But another st- <laughs> that was not in my notes. <laughs> but they have bears, and apparently these bears are causing a problem for shepherds. And so one bear chased 200 sheep off a cliff. And now this one was a 200-meter cliff, so there was no bouncing on this one. They all were gone. The point is, sheep are defenseless and they need a shepherd and they need direction. And so do we. And we have a shepherd, we looked at him last week, who knows your name, who knew you before the foundation of the world, who loves his sheep, who lays down his life. And so I think for some of us, the idea here of he continually hears, he continually lives, is regularity. There's a constant listening for the voice of the shepherd. And my question for you to ask internally is, how well do you know the voice of the shepherd? Because again, short sheep in the back doesn't see the shepherd, but he knows his voice. I'm wondering how many of us, because of the lack of familiarity with his voice, actually know the voice of the shepherd. That there is a, you're, you're easily going over the cliff or you're easily deceived because you have of lack of regularity with the shepherd. And so I would encourage you, 
If you, I mean, there's plenty of ways in which God speaks, primarily through his word. But if you want to hear the voice of the shepherd, read the scriptures. And if something stands out, you're like, wow, that's, then do that. Because that's the shepherd saying, come on. Or maybe you have a, just all of a sudden you're driving, you're at work, you're, you're just sitting at home. And there's an urge, just somebody, God brings this person to your mind. That might be the shepherd saying, you need to pray for them right now. Do it. Or there's this thing that keeps coming up, this opportunity that you keep shutting down, you keep shutting down. And maybe the shepherd is saying, no, I'm trying to get you to see this is where I want you going. We keep, you know, run away from the shepherd. Or maybe, maybe it's a parent. Teenagers, listen. Maybe it's a parent or an aunt, or a grandparent, or maybe it's a boss, or maybe it's a friend who's saying, hey, this guy, no good. This path you're taking, no good. And that's the shepherd using his church to reach you. Don't ignore. We wanna be a people who are listening for the shepherd. Right? Just listening for the gentle whisper sometimes of the voice of the shepherd. And then we follow because we love him and he loves us. Right? So that, that's, just, that's his first idea. In verse seven, now Jesus is gonna change the metaphor. He's gonna mix his metaphor here. After that, he says, they don't understand. So he says this, again, truly, truly, there it is, lean in. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There it is. Now he's changed the metaphor a little bit, most scholars think. So the first kind of sheepfold, literally the word means courtyard. That one was kind of in the village. It was a common courtyard, you know, a gatekeeper who keeps it. But this seems to be outside the village now. In the summer when they'd go in and graze in the pastures, they wouldn't come home every night. So the shepherd would take them out far and he would build a, a temporary shelter. Wouldn't be as kind of strong as the other one, but it'd be a temporary shelter and there would be an entranceway. And instead of a gatekeeper now, at night, the shepherd himself would literally lay across the opening when the sheep went in. Thus, not only is he the shepherd, he's actually the door. And the idea is, you wanna get into my sheep? You gotta go through me, because I'm the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, the Pharisees, because they're trying to steal from the sheep. They're not aimed at, they don't wanna help the sheep, they wanna hurt the sheep. He said, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse nine, I am the door. There's a second time he said it. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? And there's this contrast in verse nine and 10. You have those who want to bring life Jesus, the door, and you have those who want to destroy. One offers the abundant life, one offers destruction. And the idea of access, this, this summary is access to the abundant life comes through Jesus. That's what he's saying. And verse nine is really the key passage here because he's going to tell us what does the abundant life look like? What am I offering? That's what verse nine is. It's a summary of, of, of what he says in verse 10. Verse 10 is, here's abundant life. Here's verse nine. I'm the access to that abundant life. Here's what it looks like. And he's gonna give us three things. And so what I'm gonna do, is I just wanna do a little bit of kind of deeper digging on verse nine. So if you have a Bible, I hope you have a pen. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you uh, or you can watch it on the screen. But I really encourage you, if you own a Bible, to bring it, write in it, write notes. If you don't have one, you can take one of the ones in front of you, take it home, it's yours. 
but we just want to, we want to be people of the scripture and we want to be able to dig in a little bit because that's the voice of the shepherd. So let's, let's dig into verse nine. This is the key. These are the three things that means that Jesus is the door. Kind of line by line it. Jesus starts out saying, I am the door. This is your ego, a me in the Greek. I, I am the door. The article is there, right? I am the door. I am not a door. I am the door. It is an exclusive claim. And they get the idea. There's not a back door. There's not a side door. There's not a garage door. There is one way in. There is one way out. There is one access point. And we saw this before. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So there's an exclusive claim here. And it's even highlighted because the next line in the original language, he emphasizes through me. I am the way. I am the way. Through me. If, here's the next line, anyone enters by me. This is what we call a conditional statement, right? If, and then if there's an if, there's a then, right? In the English language, it comes across very generic, most conditional statements. In the original languages, there's different types of conditional statements. There's multiple, but there's three main types. The first one is called what we call a first class condition, and it assumes something to be true. So it's conditional, but it's already assumed to be true. So in Colossians 3, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, and you have is the idea, then seek the things above, right? So you assume to be true. Second class condition is the contrary to fact. So it's, it's assuming that it's not true. And so at the end of chapter 9, Jesus says, if you were blind, and you weren't, spiritually he's talking, then you would have no guilt. Right? So there's an assumption of truth in the first, assumption of not truth in the second, and then the third is what I call, I don't know what grammarians call it because I can't remember Greek from, high, from uh, seminary. I call it the, it's up in the air. It's an up in the air condition. It's, you don't know. And that's what this condition is, okay? This is a third class condition. It's bills up in the air. It's if anyone enters by me. And the question is, will you? It's, it's up in the air. Will you enter by him? Because if you do, it leads to abundant life. But notice again, it says, if anyone enters by me. It doesn't say if anyone enters by church. It doesn't say if anyone enters by reading your Bible. If anyone enters by getting baptized, being a good old Southerner, keeping the law, obeying the speed limit, giving your money. It doesn't say any of those. He says, you come through me. I'm the gate. I'm the door. Faith in me. Faith in who I have said I am. Faith in what I have done. Right? That's where it comes. Right? And if you have those, that faith, if you enter through Christ, there's three things he says. Here's your three implications of the door. I want you to circle them, highlight them, put little stars by them, little pink bunny rabbits, whatever you do in your Bible to bring attention to it. Here's three statements. Number one, he will be saved. I don't know that one. Number two, he will go in and out. I don't know that one. Number three, you'll find pasture. These are the three things that Jesus is trying to get us to see about him as the door, having access to what? To the abundant life. All right, so let's look at them each one. All right, first one is he will be saved. All right, this is the obvious one. This is the one we've looked at before, that he brings access, remember door, to salvation. There is salvation in no other, no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. All right? No one comes to the Father but through me. So this is the obvious one. But here's what I want you to think about a little bit. There's a couple implications. As the sheep, 
based on the fact that Jesus said you will be saved. Number one is this, that you need to be saved. That if there's a reason to be saved, then there's some sort of danger. There's some sort of harm. There's some sort of peril. Second implication is you cannot save yourself. You're not Conan the Barbarian sheep. Your big sword you bring out. If you need to be saved, then it means you cannot save yourself. Once in a while, we'll be in, I'll be in the den or be in a bedroom, whatever, and I'll hear this faint cry in our house. And I'll recognize that as our cat. Because I'm not a cat guy, right? I'm just not. I mean, I'm a Ron Swanson. Anything, any dog under 50 pounds is a cat, and cats are pointless. That's my philosophy, right? So we have a 100-pound dog. His name is Milton. Once in a blue moon, doesn't happen often, but once in a blue moon, Milton will corner Kitty. He usually can't catch her. He, she's usually outsmarts him, but once in a while, good old Milton will win this battle, and the cat will be like on his back, like meow, meow, and trying to you know, get him. He don't even care because he's a big blue. He doesn't care. It's scratching him. He don't care. And so what I will have to do against my better judgment, because I'm not a cat guy, is I have to go and stand in between Milton and the cat, and I have to rescue the cat. And I'll take the cat to the other room and I'll put her down. And of course, she won't be thankful because cats are not and they could care less about you, right? They could care less about you. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. And I'll rescue the cat and she'll go off thinking nothing. She needed a savior because she could do nothing. She was in peril because dumb Milton would eat her. All right, that, that's the idea. You were lost. You were in danger from sin, from the devil, from yourself. But ultimately, understand, y'all, you were under the very wrath of a holy God because you were separated from him. And that is a bad place to be. You were enemies. And what does God do? Colossians says that he delivers us from the domain of darkness and he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That is why Jesus came. Understand, Jesus came and he did a ton of things. He healed the sick. He made people come back from the dead. He turned water into wine. He fed thousands of people with a couple fish and a couple, you know, with just a little lunchable. He walks on water, right? He washes his disciples' feet, teaching them a great lesson. He goes to battle with, this, with Satan and the devil in, in the wilderness for 40 days and resists. He does all these amazing things, but don't understand, that's not why he came. That's not why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. The night, night he's betrayed, the night before he's crucified, he says, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Save me from this hour? It's for this hour purpose I have come. John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, what? But in order that the world might be saved. Jesus came to save and he is the door, he is the access to salvation and he is the only access. That's, that's what he means by the door. But there's more here. Verse nine, I am the door, if anyone enters me, he will be saved. Here's the second thing, he will go in and out. All right, what's that about? He's going in and out. The idea of being able as a sheep to go in and out is the idea of security. You're safe. You're protected. Because you can go in and you can go out. And the sec- so the second idea here is it, he gives and promises access to security. To being secure. Right? A house is only as secure 
as your door, right? We have a door in our house that you have to lock the bolt because the handle kind of gets funky sometimes. And so the wind, or if it's not locked, it can just blow open. And so the other, last week, my, somebody forgot to lock the bolt. And so my wife goes outside and she's watering flowers and she looks over and here's Milton sitting right there outside. This is dangerous. Milton hates golf carts and golfers. And so he, if he sees one or a squirrel, anything, actually he'll chase anything. So if he sees anything, he will go after it. So him being outside where golf carts are driving by all the time and people walking their dogs is not safe. That's what happens when the door is not secure, right? The question for us is, how secure are we as sheep? The answer is, well, how secure is Jesus? Because the idea here as he's laying across the door is, you wanna get to my sheep, you gotta come through me. That's the idea. And there's, I could make multiple applications for this, but let me just give you a couple that I think are significant for us. So access to the security who is Jesus, who is the door, means this, that your salvation, if you're a Christian, is absolutely secure. There, there are some who will teach, and you'll hear it, that you can do something that makes you lose your salvation. That is a lie. I'm just telling you. That is a lie. Because if you could do something to lose your salvation, that means what you are saying is something that you have is greater than all three members of the triune God. That you can do something that is greater than Jesus' sacrifice. That his sacrifice is not enough for you because you can do X, right? That is a lie. It means you would have to be greater than the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is, according to Ephesians 1, the seal on your soul. He is the down payment for what God will do in the future. He is the one who makes you from dead to life. You were dead, now you were alive. For you to be, say, I can do something to make the spirit, break the seal of the spirit of God, is such arrogance. That you're gonna, you're gonna take, you were dead, he made you alive, you're gonna put yourself dead again? Can't do it. You're, say you're greater than Jesus, say you're greater than the spirit, you said you're greater than the father. And Jesus says at the end of this chapter, the father who is greater than I, no one is able to snatch them out of my, his hands. You greater than the Father? Something you can do? No. This is why, if someone asked me, Bill, how sure are you if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? On a scale of zero to 100. I say, I am absolutely 100% sure I would go to heaven. So that's kind of arrogant. Well, it would be if it was dependent on me. But it's not. I can say with certainty, I have put my faith in the door who is Christ and it's all about what he has done. Now, if it's about me, about me being patient on Duran, I'm out. If it's about me not being lazy sometimes, if it's about me not getting angry sometimes, I'm out. But if it's about Christ crucified on a cross in my place for my sins and him resurrected, I am secure because of what he has done and now I am in Christ. So I can be 100% sure. So you don't have to be sitting here. If you're sitting here, well, I'm only about 25%. Then I'd ask you, then have you entered the door? And if you have, what are you trusting in then? Trusting in how well your quiet time went this week? I missed a couple and I'm the pastor, right? So it's not, so you are secure because of Christ and you need to know that, church. You need to know that's what, that's what he, he's promising in security. Another thing, access to security means you're never alone. Never will be. Psalm 23. We read it earlier. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Tough. You're gonna be in the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. You know that, right? 
you were going to be, but you will never go alone. Some of you have lost your job. It's hard. You're not alone. Some of you just had a bad breakup, dating for three years, thought this was the one. You're not alone. Some of you just got a bad diagnosis for your mom, for your child, for you. You're not alone. Some of you work stinks, the boss is after you, your coworkers hate you. You eat alone every day at school. You're not alone. Because here's what, here's what scripture teaches. When you are in the valley of the shadow of death, that is actually the safest place for you to be, Christian. Because the shepherd is there. It stinks, it's scary, and it's dark. But you're secure. And even if you lose your life, I mean, what does Jesus say? Don't fear those who can kill you. Fear my father who can throw you into the pit. You don't need to fear man, right? What can he do to you? Uh, you're secure and access to the door, access to the abundant life means you are secure, you are never alone. It also means this, access to God is the door, access to Jesus' door means you never will be given more than you can handle with God. See, what we often say is, you see it, you know, it's a Facebook, Instagram, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not completely true. He will not give you more than you can handle with him. You gotta have that little prepositional phrase. Because I'm always given more than I can handle. You think I can get up here on my own on a weekly basis? I can't. I can't do anything on my own. But I certainly can't help handle trial and, and suffering on my own. God constantly gives us more than we can handle. He just will never give us more than we can handle apart from him. That's the key. And that's what security is. Right? That's, that's an access to security. So we were at the lake a couple weeks ago for vacation. And we're riding on the boat. And I'm pulling the kids on the skis, right? And I grew up skiing. They, they're kind of rookies, but they've kept all of them getting up. And so when you're on the lake, and those of you who grew up on a lake or no lake, there's always other boats combined. There's wakes, and you know, it kind of gets rough. Um, and I got boats of rookie skiers. I mean, they're on, they're on two skis. That's rookie skiing to me. If you're on one ski, that's your rookie, right? So, but they're on rookie skis, and they're fine. And, and the waves are coming, and they come from all different angles, right? When you're out in the thing. And a good boat driver who knows what he's doing with a skier will get the skier behind the boat and he will turn directly into those wakes, right? Because what happens when you go directly into that wake, it disperses the wake enough, those bumps enough, that the skier still gets a little bit, but doesn't get the full force of it. He's broken it up. Now, when we're on the tube, it's all, it doesn't matter, it's different. Uh, the goal of the tube is to throw your child as high in the air as possible. That's the goal of the tube, right? just so you know. We want concussions, we want something. To, to, we want pictures for Facebook with kids upside down. That's the goal. But when there's skis, we don't want that, right? right. That's what a good boat dryer does. That's what, that's what the shepherd does when it says he goes ahead of us. Is he gonna make all the bumps go away? He will not make all the bumps go away. But what he will do is he will disperse them enough that you can, that can, you can manage it. Maybe a little rocky. It may feel like you're gonna fall. And here's what I would say to some of you. You're in the middle of some bumps. You just are. And some of you, you're trying to get outside the boat, which is not a safe place. The bumps are bigger out there. And you think you can handle it, and you think you're gonna be okay, and I would say no. You need to tuck yourself right in behind that boat. You need to tuck yourself in behind that Savior. Let him knock these things down and, and hold on for dear life and he will get you through it. 
but only if you're going through the door, right? And I know the struggles. I know the valley of the shadow of death. I have been there, right? And here's the beauty though. If you are outside the boat and you wipe out, you have a savior. My kids wipe out when I'm pulling them. What do I do? What was I taught? I whip that boat around and I gun it back to them. And some and people, some of my wife one time asked me, why, why do you go so fast? Because there's other boats on the lake and they might not see a little head bobbing up and down and I'm gonna get there as quick as I can so that I can protect that person in the water and get them back up so I can throw them again. But what does is, what is the Savior promise? That when one wanders off, he leaves the 99 and he goes back and gets them. You have, you have a shepherd that even if you fall, even if you've been outside the boat, even if you haven't trusted him, he comes back for you. That's security. That's access to security. One more thing access to security gives us. It gives us rest. Right? What is going in for a sheep? At night, he goes into the pen. And what shepherds in that day would do, and they still do, is as each sheep comes in, here comes Sean the sheep. And he would inspect Sean the sheep. And he'd check for, you know, briars or thorns, if he got into some nasty grass, whatever, if he has some infestation. And if he's got thorns, he pulls out the, the briars. And what does he do? He anoints him with oil. Thus, Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. If he's thirsty, then he brings water. He fills his cup so that it overflows. Right? That's the idea. That's what the shepherd does. And then he brings them into rest. For some of you, you need, you, need to, you need to get into the sheep fold and you need to rest because you've been trying so hard. You're a little sheep that you've been out and you've been wild in the field and you've been in some bad fields with some bad grass. And you got pricker bushes all in you and you got infestation and you think that, oh, I just need to go to a different field because in that field, it'll be better because I just broke up with this dude and it was bad, but there's, I'll go to this dude over here because he'll be better. Or I'll find rest and security and just a couple more thousand dollars in my account. Or I'll just, just another, just a, a nicer this or a nicer that. Or if I can run with that crowd, if they'll accept me, if I can get enough likes and I can put enough filters and I can adjust my picture to make myself look perfect, then I'll have security, then I'll have rest. If I do more religious activities, then I'll have peace and I'll rest. And what the shepherd is saying is, y'all, stop jumping from field to field to field to field and come into the sheepfold and let me anoint your head with oil. Let me make you lie down in green pastures. Let me make your cup overflow. Let me lead you in passive righteousness for my name's sake. Right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not in the other fields. And some of you have been wounded and you're hurting and you're running because you don't want anyone to know and you need to come back to the shepherd. You need to go through the door. You let the healer and the comforter do his job, what he promises to do for his sheep because he promises you will go in and you will go out. There's access. So we have access to salvation. We have access to security. And there's one more thing he says. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out. He'll find pasture. What is that about? Well, what does a sheep need? He needs some pasture. He needs some nice water. He leads me beside still waters. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He needs grass. He needs to eat. Right? And what is Jesus promising his sheep here? He's promising access to sustenance. 
I know that's a fancy kind of word. I just needed another S, right? I, could, I would have said provision, but I'm trying to be a good Baptist for some of you Baptists today. So I got salvation, security, sustenance. You are welcome. It won't happen again. All right. <laughs> but he's promising, come through me and I have access. I will sustain you. I will provide for you. I will meet your needs. The disciples, they get this. He said to them in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why are you worried about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear? Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. How much more valuable are you than that? I'm gonna care for you? He tells them later, he says, you being wicked fathers, thanks Jesus, if your kid asks you for a, for a fish, you gonna give him a snake? No. Well, how much better is our father in heaven? Well, he promises to meet our needs. He lays down his life. He's proved his care. Philippians says, my God will supply every need of yours, every, according to what? His riches. That means he's got, he's got the stuff that he can provide if you enter. But here's where we get all sideways. Ready? We, we as Americans especially, we confuse what we need and what we want. Guilty? Right? I mean, this week I was uh, sitting in a, another church and it was, it was warm and I'm wearing a suit, which I don't usually wear. And I was hot. And I was thinking, I need AC. Right? Now, AC is one of God's good gifts to his people. It is a common grace. But I survived. Go figure. I didn't need AC. I wanted AC. Right? My phone for like an hour this week was acting up. It wouldn't turn on. It kept turning on, turning off. I'm like, great. How am I gonna function without a phone? I gotta get a Ryzen. I gotta get a new phone. That means another $28 a month for the next 17 years. Right? I mean, I'm just like struggling. And all of a sudden it starts working. But I thought I, need, I cannot function without a phone. Really? You grew, I grew up without a phone. I mean, we had the pay phone. Right? I told you before, you know, you want your mom pick you up? You click call. Click call from mom pick me up. I'm done. You know, hang up. Right? <laughs> That we survived for 30 years without cell phones. I did. I don't need a phone. I want a phone. A couple of months ago, we had a Start Here class, our members class. It was a, we had a phenomenal spread. It was awesome. It was great food. It was just really good. And, I, and at the end of it, I'm like, mm, that was so good. I need now, I need a brownie. I need a cookie. I need something sweet. My palate, you know, I, you know, I need that. And I looked around, none. There's no desserts. I'm like, what, who's getting fired today? And so we have not had no, we've had dessert at every start here since then. But I didn't need a brownie, but I sure wanted a brownie. And we laugh, but the reality is this. What we need and what we want are two different things. God sometimes gives more than what we need, but he doesn't promise it. But he does promise that he will give you everything you do need. And, and that doesn't mean you're gonna have your, your cup always filling over, but it does mean that if you might just be to a point where you're getting your daily bread, and that may be enough for you. Because he's taking it on himself as the good shepherd. It's my reputation at stake. I will provide for my sheep. It might be just enough for today. Maybe you got this huge project and you got this, all this chaos going on. And maybe you got little ones running around. You're like, how am I gonna survive until these kids go to college? And you're just like, God will give you enough, maybe for today, but he will give you enough. It's his reputation on the line. He says, you enter through me, I will provide pasture, not just from today, but for all eternity. Because you're his sheep, and he's a good shepherd. And what kind of good shepherd doesn't provide for his sheep? Doesn't mean your couple's always gonna run it over, but it does mean that you will have what you need for now. That's a great promise, isn't it? 
But here's the key. Here's the key. It's all dependent on if you will enter. Third class condition, will you? Will you? Right? Let me close with this. I love, I'm, I'm a Narnia guy, I know. Um, you guys know that. If you don't know what Narnia is, I don't even know if you're an American Christian. I don't, just, you know. Just kidding. Don't be offended. But in Prince Caspian, second book, actually, it was the second book when I'm growing up. Now it's the third because I've changed the order. All right, so. But the original, actually, is it this? Yeah, it's the second book. And not a good movie. Don't go watch the movie. It's horrible. But here's what happens. It's the end of the book and, and then, uh, you know, the, the prince, the kings and queens of Narnia, right? Peter and Lucy and them, they've won the battle against the Telmarines. And so, but everyone's there. Telmarines and, and Aslan, the lion, is all there and they're all grouped up. And here's what Aslan does. He's, he's speaking to the enemy, his enemies, the Telmarines, and he says this. You men and women of Telmar, will you go back to the island in the world of men from which your fathers first came? It is no bad place. The race of those pirates who first found it have died out and it is without inhabitants. There are good wells of fresh water, fruitful soil and timber for building and fish in the lagoons. And the other men of that world have not discovered it. The chasm is open for your return. But this I must warn you, that once you have gone through, it will close behind you forever. There'll be no more commerce between the worlds by that door. There was silence for a moment and a burly, decent-looking fellow among the Telmarine soldiers pushed forward and said, well, I'll take the offer. It is well chosen, said Aslan. And because you spoke first, strong magic is upon you. Your future in that world shall be good. Come forth. So the man, now a little pale, came forward. Aslan and his court drew aside, leaving him free access to the empty doorway of the stakes. Go through it, my son, said Aslan, bending towards him and touching the man's nose with his own. As soon as the lion's breath came about him, a new look came into his eyes, startled but not unhappy, as if he were trying to remember something. Then he squared his soldiers, shoulders and walked into the door. I love that image where Aslan is like, you are my enemy, but here I'm providing you a door, a door to good things, timber and lagoons and peace and all these things, but you gotta go through. And once you go through, you can't come back. Once you make that choice and you go through the door, it's all different. And that's the, that's the invite of Jesus. Come through the door, you'll find salvation, you'll find security, you'll find sustenance, but understand there's no turning back. It's all different from them. It's the abundant life. Not always easy life, but the abundant life, which will learn, live for eternal life, which will be forever your cup overflowing. But some of you, I just encourage you. Have you entered the door? Have you found salvation? Have you put yourself under his security? Have you put yourself under his sustenance? If you're a believer, maybe you just need to be reminded of his provision today and his protection. I don't know. If you're not, you need to be reminded that there's only one way and everything else leads to destruction. And if you have questions about that or you want a prayer about something, we got a prayer team that after the service, we'd love for you to, to pray for you, pray over you. We love as pastors to walk you through some of this stuff. That's why we're here. We want all of us to experience the abundant life which Jesus offers but it only comes through him. Let me pray and we will worship. Why don't you guys stand? Father in heaven, I thank you for truth and for your word and that you are good and that you have revealed yourself to us. I thank you that your son is the door 
access to you and salvation, access to your protection and your provision that you sustain your church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pray for those here, they're wrestling with that. They wanna believe that they have questions, Lord. Give them the faith, open their eyes. Don't let them be like the Pharisees who didn't understand what you were saying, that they come to you seeing their need for a shepherd uh, and that they would put themselves under the care of the good shepherd. Uh, let us be a church that's constantly, uh, constantly out, uh, bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, and, and seeing you work in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.